example, we love the verse that says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. But let's ask the question, what happens when there is no word breathed out by God? There is little in a culture that is profitable for teaching. There is reproving one another, often violently, without thought for God. There is no loving correction. There is no training in righteousness. Without the word of God, there are no men of God. People do not seek God on their own, and there is no way for a man or a woman to be competent, equipped for every good work when he or she does not have the Bible. Where there is no Bible, outside of God's common grace, goodness is just not found. Another verse that we love here at Masters is found in Psalm 119, verse 9, and then verse 11, where the psalmist says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we read this verse, we have hope that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk according to the word that we have stored up in our hearts. But what if there is no word to store up? What if there is no Bible? And so there's no way for people, for young people to be pure. There is no way for people to stop sinning against the Lord. If we continue on in Psalm 119, we read verse 105 which says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We at Masters rejoice that we have this light, but let's think for a minute about where we would be without it. We would not have a lamp for our feet, we would not have a light for our path, but we would be wandering around in moral darkness, giving ourselves over to whatever idol our culture wanted us to worship. Think about how Nathan the prophet came up to David after he had slept with Bathsheba and had Uriah killed. He came up to him with a word from the Lord about a rich man who stole his neighbor's only little sheep. And then he ended the story with, you, David, you are that man. This was the word of God that pierced a king to the heart and led him to repentance. Now imagine an entire people group where there is no prophetic word from the Lord. What do you have? You have unrepentant adultery and murder. And that is where we, and that is where we are left, I'm sorry, that is what we are left with in regions untouched by the word of God. We have impurity, we have sin, we have adultery, we have murder, and we have no one to call to repentance. If the Bible is light, then places without it are in darkness. If the Bible gives hope, then the places and the languages who do not have it are left hopeless. If the Bible introduces us to Jesus as our salvation, then those who are without it do not know Jesus and do not know salvation. When we were here at Masters and then later at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, we were exposed to the biblical languages, systematic theology, biblical counseling, and in a biblical counseling class um, at Southern, Dr. Stuart Scott was lecturing on how practical theology or biblical counseling is really kind of the icing on the cake of good biblical exegesis and theology. He showed us a pyramid that I actually found on the website, uh, found on the internet the other day. 
So, okay, here it is behind me. You'll note that the foundation of all Christian ministry, of all biblical understanding about who God is, is based on scripture. So the very foundation you'll see up there is scripture, where we ask, what does the text say? After this is exegesis, where we ask, what does the text mean? And then biblical theology, what truths or doctrines does it teach? And then systematic theology, what does the whole Bible say? And then is practical theology, how can I change? How can I apply this to my life? Without the word of God, you can have none of this. You don't get to read John 3.16 and say, well, what does this mean for me? You don't get to have the doctrine of depravity of man, which explains that the world is the way that it is. Instead of understanding that sin and death entered the world through one man's sin, you start thinking that people die because their neighbors are putting curses on them. And you look at others with suspicion. You do not get to see a God working through the history of Israel, showing again and again his patience, his wrath, and then his forgiveness. You know that there is a God who made you, but you just don't know what he is like. You do not get to do systematic study on God's intentions for marriage, and so you resort to sexual immorality and polygamy in many regions. You don't understand that when someone dies, they go either to hell or heaven forever until you yourself die and end up going to hell. You don't have a good theology of health and medicine, and so you go to a local healer who cuts your baby with razor blades, possibly due to ignorance of the medical profession and possibly due to demonic influence or both. You see that not having the word of God doesn't just mean that there's no awana for the kids. It means that there's absolutely nothing to build on. It means that there are no parenting books to read on how to be a biblical parent. There are no friends to call who will pray for you. There are no VBSs. There are no accountability groups. But we trust that where the scriptures go, all of these other levels will be built upon it. But where the scriptures are not, what reigns is darkness and sin and death. Now these realities would not hurt so bad if they weren't attached to real people. Right now I'm going to introduce you to two men from a Bibleist people group called the Kwakum people the group among whom we work. The first man I'm going to introduce you to is named Bosco. Let me paint a picture for you of what Bosco's life looks like. Bosco grew up in a typical animistic household where he trusted things like cords around his waist to protect him. He believed that there were the spirits of his ancestors all around him and he needed to manipulate them in order to receive health and prosperity. But the Lord sent a man from Burkina Faso to share the gospel with Bosco. Bosco believed and he broke from his animistic roots. The only Kwakum person I know who has done that. This church planter appointed him as a pastor and a church was born. Now Bosco has a basic understanding of French. So he reads the Bible in French and then translates it into the local language, local language on Sunday mornings. When we attended his church, he preached a message actually um, of work salvation that we can be made with, right with God through our works. In his church, there is sexual immorality, but Bosco does not know that it is his responsibility to lead the church and church discipline. 
With a few exceptions, his church members are illiterate and so rely on him almost totally to know what the Bible says. We came to Bosco and we told him that we were there to translate the Bible for his people. And he was overcome with gratitude and really praised to God. Bosco then started coming over to our house every night in order to teach us the language and is one of our closest friends. Now I imagine in a room this size, there are those who aspire to be biblical counselors, children's ministry leaders, or Bible teachers in some capacity, maybe at a college or a seminary. And to you, imagine in your mother tongue, English, that this is your Bible. It says, New Testament for unwritten languages. It's totally blank, right. But lucky for you, you have a second grade education in French. And so you can understand perfectly when I read Jean 3, le verset 16. Car Dieu a tant aimé le monde qu'il a donné son Fils unique, afin que quiconque croit en lui ne périsse point, mais qu'il ait la vie éternelle. Maybe you understood a couple words, but just like Lisa said, you might have enough to taste the soup, but it's not going to feed you. Um, maybe you can pick up a word here or there out of the French Bible, but can you grow? And how holy would your people be if you are a pastor? This is the Bible in the language that people speak, and this is what you're preaching from. How many scriptures would your children be able to recite? And this is exactly the place that Bosco finds himself in. Bosco is the reason, Bosco and people like Bosco are the reason that we need more Bible translation in the world. But Bosco is actually more fortunate than most because he has an elementary understanding of French and he has received the gospel. I now want to introduce you to one of our neighbors in the, our village chief named Matthew. Matthew was our first friend when we moved into our village. He was always welcoming and kind. One day when he saw me digging a trash pit behind our house, he came over and took the shovel to help me. He's just always been there um, for us. A few months after we moved into our house, for one reason or another, um, a different man was appointed chief of our village. And then a few days after that, this man died. Our village was in an uproar with people shouting and screaming in the streets at one another because the village accused Matthew of killing the new chief by using witchcraft. I don't know if he denied that actually. So Matthew got scared and immediately started attending our church, which is conducted in French. This church was planted by the same missionary from Burkina Faso. Matthew kept attending and slowly learned when to sit, when to stand, when to bow his head in prayer. But Matthew neither reads nor speaks much French at all. And so after a few months, he stopped attending our church. Our pastor later told us that Matthew decided to come to our church in order to find protection from the retaliation of the village against him for supposedly killing the new chief through witchcraft. But Matthew's heart was never touched by the gospel. One day, I was sitting with Matthew and his wife and they explained to me that they had lost multiple children and they said they were afraid they were going to lose another, a little girl who's five years old whose name is Madeline. At that time, they had her lift her shirt to show me her stomach and I noticed that it was extraordinarily bloated. 
I also noticed she had tons of little cuts all over her stomach because they had taken her to a local healer and cut her with, and they cut her with razor blades in order to heal her. I knew Madeline, she was often at our house, and at that time I had never seen her smile and I had never seen her play, and it really broke my heart. Now this is Matthew's family. This is Matthew's life. This is Matthew's story. This was likely Matthew's father's story and his father's story. They are born, they live in poverty. Matthew often passes his days in drunkenness. He dabbles maybe in witchcraft here and there. He has hope in his dead ancestors around him and he watches his children die. Then one day, until, unless Matthew can understand the gospel in his own language, he will stand before God as his judge and pay forever for his sins. My friends, Matthew is why we need Bible translation in the world. His little daughter, Madeline, is why we need Bible translation in the world. And these are the people that we are there to minister to, but there are thousands of people groups who don't have missionaries there to minister to them. But these people, Bosco and Matthew, they need more than just Bible translation. And right now, Dave's going to talk about what else they do need. Yeah, so I recently had the opportunity to go to a Bible translation conference in Dallas. And um, while, we were, while I was there, I had the opportunity to hear from the chancellor of the Pan-Africa Africa Christian University. So if you go two more slides up, she's there on, the, uh, on your left there. Uh, she's a really encouraging story for me because what happened is translators came, they translated the Bible into her language. And so as a child, she grew up hearing God's word in her language and she loved it as a child. And so when she grew up, she ended up working as a translation consultant, helping other languages get the Bible in their language. She ended up after that becoming a translation uh, advisor for all of Africa and then a global translation advisor with the United Bible Societies. And, um, and what is encouraging to me about this is that we have someone who, who could have grown up like Madeline. She could have grown up in a village without hearing the gospel, without the word of God. Not only did she grow up hearing the gospel, but she also loved God's word and then is now actively involved in training. She's the, the chancellor at the Pan-Africa Christian University. So she's training up new Christian leaders to go out. And part of that process is training up translators as well. Uh, while I was at the conference, um, her, uh, Dr. Muthui made a couple of comments about the current state of Bible translation that actually shocked me. So the first one's on a slide here. It's, it's uh, the very first thing that she said was many people groups are asking for new translations. Um, What's happened is we've gone out and we've translated the Bible in certain communities. And then now we're, you know, and for some of these communities, 20, 30 years later, and they're looking for a new translation. And she said the reason that that's happening is when these um, translators went out, they operated under a, a, a methodology that we call, at the time they call it dynamic equivalence, or now we call it functional equivalence. Um, and what they're looking to do is they're trying to make the Bible understandable for people in these situations, people who are illiterate or barely literate. And um, 
just so you know what the process is, what I heard in other sessions they'll usually do is they'll go into these people groups that the people, they have some people who speak English and they'll give them two Bibles. They'll give them um, a more literal translation, um, which is like the ESV or the NASB. And then they'll give them the good news translation and they'll say, try to translate like the good news translation. So they'll give them that comparison. And what she emphasized, Dr. Muthwi emphasized was that these communities have received these um, functional equivalent Bibles, translations, and now, as the, the people have developed and grown in, in their faith, they're able to read other translations and they're realizing that there's a certain depth that's been removed from their translations because the translation's been kind of flattened for them. Um, specifically, she talked about ambiguity. Um, sometimes in Bible passages, there's ambiguity and we don't know exactly, uh, exactly what's going on in the text. So in Luke uh, eleven forty two, Jesus accuses the Pharisees of neglecting justice and the love of God. In the Greek, that particular construction, love of God, it could refer to a lot of different things, but specifically it could refer to God's love, the love of God, which is how I usually read that passage, or I read that phrase anyway, is, is God's love, the love of God. Or it could refer to the love that, that one person should have for God. And I think in this passage, probably what Jesus was saying is that they should have had a love for God that they were neglecting. So it's, it's their love. Um, what happens in the, the good news translation is they flatten that and they make, it, they make what, is, what is ambiguous in the Greek, they make it, um, they, they make it uh, explicit. So they say the love uh, for God is the, tr the way that they translate it in the, the GNT. So what um, translations like the ESV have done is they've, they've specifically left this as love of God in the text so that when we read it, we are able to go through and study it and try to understand what we believe that to mean in that particular passage. And so what, what is happening is the, the African people that she's been talking to have seen that in the English text, there is room to study and room to learn and room to grow and room to make interpretation for themselves. But when they go back to their translations in their native tongue, they're not able to do that. They wanna be theologians. They wanna study God's word. They wanna make theology or develop theology, understand theology from their perspective. And these translations have not allowed them to do that. The second thing that she said that really shocked me was that um, past Pastors and community leaders need training too. So what she was seeing is in these communities, the Bible was coming and it was being handed to the people, but the pastors and the community leaders weren't involved in the translation process. They don't know what was happening. So when they're reading the text, they don't know where different decisions were made and how that was made. And then they're not able to teach the text in a way that is clear and understandable to the people. Um, during uh, another presentation, um, we learned that around 30% of the published New Testaments in Papua New Guinea are being used. So there's around 70% of these published New Testaments in Papua New Guinea that are not being used at all. And in many cases, I found in Africa, the, the Bibles are not being taught well. And so I think what Dr. Muthwi was seeing, and I think what we're seeing in a lot of the Bible translation world is that we've been actually translating the Bible in a short-sighted manner. We've been looking for evangelism. We've been looking to use these Bibles for evangelism, and we haven't been thinking about what comes after that. Um, it, I think what we're essentially doing when we do that is we're, we're, tr we're translating Bibles for spiritual children which works really well when people are illiterate and they're first learning to read, but then we're not thinking about what they're gonna need as they're developing and as they're growing and as they're becoming pastors themselves and they're wanting to translate the scriptures. 
So what I, I'm encouraging us to do today and encouraging us to think about is, is how could we do Bible translation? If you're gonna go out here and you're gonna do Bible translation, or if you're gonna encourage people who are doing Bible translation, how can we do that with a long view? And there's just two quick things that I wanna give you guys that we can do to try to have uh, a Bibles that have a long-term view in mind. And the first is I think that we should seek to have mature translations. I'm not sure, I've only been working as a missionary for about five years, so I'm not sure that I'm actually allowed to coin new phrases. Um, but you often hear about dynamic equivalence and functional equivalence and literal and all these different terms. And a lot of times it just gets really confusing and you get lost in the details of it. Um, but I think that what we could be doing is aiming for mature translations, translations that are designed to help people be discipled. Um, specifically, I don't really like the word literal. Um, I think it can be really confusing. Uh, what, it, what do we even mean when we say we're translating literally? If you look at the Young's literal translation, you'll notice that they, they try to follow the, the text very, very specifically, but they still change the word order. And so would we say that's still literal? Um, the ESV claims to be essentially literal and, and as literal as possible. But if you read uh, Psalm 40 verse eight, and I have a, uh, this up here, it says, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. So we've chosen to use the word heart here to describe what the, the psalmist is speaking of when in, in the, the original text, it's speaking of um, belly, really is, is kind of what that word means. So we've chosen a different word. So I think that deciding how we wanna translate each passage is really complicated. But I think what's even more important than that is that we think about what is our end goal for our translation. And so I'm really encouraging us to think about how we're going to translate the Bible, not just for evangelism, but for discipleship. And if you read in Matthew 28, and I put this up on a slide, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So you'll notice that Jesus didn't say go and evangelize or go and translate the Bible, but he said, go and make disciples. And I think that that needs to be our end goal in uh, in Bible translation. And I, I think, secondly, not only do we need to seek to have mature uh, translations, but we also need to seek to have mature churches. And so I think that as we go out into the world and we're translating the Bible and bringing the word of God to people, we also need to be training up pastors and teachers um, there is one man who was set aside to try to examine why people aren't using the Bibles in the different places in the world, and specifically Papua New Guinea. His name was Wayne Dye, and he said, sometimes teaching the Bible is more important than translating the Bible. And so as you go out from here, you're getting such a great education. I'm just encouraging us to think about how we could do Bible translation and how we could do missions such that we're developing mature translations and also mature churches. Um, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit because I wanna watch a short video with us. I'm, that was all really technical and I'm sorry. I think it's important that we think through the issues and so it's important to talk about technical things. But like Stacy said um, earlier, this is not just a, an issue of debate. It's not just an issue of translation methods. We can debate translation theories and I think that's actually really important and we need to talk about those things. But I, the truth is I'm not living in a village in Cameroon because I just really love theories. I'm not living in Cameroon because I wanna debate and think through linguistic issues, but I love Jesus. And I'm living in a village where people who should be worshiping God are not worshiping God. And silly spirits and idols and trees and rivers are receiving worship that God deserves. But I also know that the Bakum people will never worship a God that they don't know. 
And to know God and to love Jesus, they need God's word. But the Bible is, it's more than an evangelism track. And the Bible is all that we need for life and godliness, but all that we need for life and godliness is, is couched in Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic, and it's couched in a foreign culture. And we need people that are going out and they're translating the word of God, and they're also teaching people how to use it rightly so that they, when they get to church like Bosco, they're not teaching the wrong message. I don't think he means to. I think he really loves God, but he just doesn't know God's word. We also, we need people who will go into villages and who will translate the word of God for Matthew, who is our chief, so that he can know God, but not just that. We don't want just Matthew to be saved. We want him to be raised up so that he could be mature and so that he could go out and impact his culture um, in Cameroon and other cultures even, like, like Dr. Muthui. Um, right now, I'm actually having a really hard time believing that this could happen with the Kwakum. It's just so hard living with them and believing that true change can come. But I know that it can. I know that it can because I've seen God change me. I know that it can because I've seen God change other people. And also, I know that it's, it can because I've, I've seen a lot of really great videos of Bible dedications. Have you guys ever seen any of these videos? Um, our agency is World Team, and World Team has been really faithful to do long, long vision Bible translation and live with the people and disciple people. We're, we're eager to see uh, what God will do with the Kwakum people. Um, I wanted to give you guys just something to walk away to do, um, walk away from this, and one of those things is become missionaries, so I hope you caught that. We want you to, <laughs> want you to do that. Um, but also just something a little bit more tangible um, right now. Uh, we got an email about a year ago from a woman and she had found our blog and was just so excited because in 2004 she had, had found a, or got, received a prayer card from Wycliffe to pray for the Kwakum people. And, uh, and she had no idea, she's been praying since 2004 that the Kwakum people would have God's word. And I don't know if that, if you guys were paying attention the other day, but 2004 was the year that God changed my heart, that God brought me to a point where I was willing to pursue missions. Um, I believe you guys can be involved uh, in missions right now, even today, um, but it's hard, it's hard to, to love people that you don't know, and I know that. Um, so I wanted to help you, we wanted to help you, and so we made some prayer cards just for some specific people. So. This is Eric, he's a little boy that lives in our village. Um, and there's a whole bunch of these different, different people that you can pray for, just really specific people. And then following, after we got this email from this woman, I thought that was a really great idea. So we made prayer cards with the names of all 113 people groups in Cameroon that do not have a single word of the scripture in their language. And at this point, we have no reason to believe they ever will, unless something changes. If you pick up this card right here, this is the Atong people you may be the only person in the world that is praying for the Atong people. And um, uh, in 1806, there were five college students that gathered together to talk about missions and to pray for missions uh, at Williams College. And in 1961, um, they counted and there had been 5,000 missionaries that had gone out because of the prayers of those people. So just really specifically pick up a card today and choose four of your friends and decide that you're gonna start praying consistently for the Bibleist peoples of the world. Thank you for having us out. We're so glad that we could be here.